Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast Podcast. Thanks for joining us for our study through the book of 2 Corinthians. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth. In it, Paul gets very personal about his own shortcomings, and he comforts the believers in Corinth. But he also teaches us that by embracing our own weakness, we are able to experience God's strength. Grab your Bibles, and let's jump in. If you have your Bibles, would you open them to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to just do an introduction. If you get there, would you stand with me? Going through the book of Ruth and taking a chapter at a time, it doesn't really uh, make um, it super convenient to stand and read the whole chapter each week, but today we're just going to read the very first two verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God and our brother Timothy, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, which with all the saints who are throughout Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You may be seated. <laughs> That's it, I promise. We're, you're good for the next 45 minutes. Get comfortable. Well, this morning, I'm excited to start a brand new book of the Bible, 2 Corinthians. You know, last year, if you were with us, we spent the whole year going through the book of 1 Corinthians. And so this year, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians, the, the sequel, if you will. And the overarching theme is learning to embrace weakness. You know, 2 Corinthians acknowledges um, our weakness and it shows us what to do with it. You know, this, the, this book of the Bible is for people who don't have it all together. You know, th- this is for people who are struggling and who are weak. And I would suggest that there's probably some, maybe in your row this morning, that are hurting right now. And so I, I want us as a church to get beyond the idealized version of the Christian life. You know, there's kind of this version that we have. There's this version of us in our walk with Jesus that we put out there that I call the Instagram kind of version of Christianity, right? It's kind of like this perfect selfie, if you will, of our lives. Like, like here I am, like everything is fine and everything is happy in my life and my kids are all obedient and, and my marriage is perfect and my job's going wonderful like I love my job and all of these things and like Jesus is good and all of those things like it's the Instagram version of life listen we don't want that (laughs) we want the real Christian life the one that says like I hate I'm a mess and I'm willing to admit it but I'm God's mess and he's holding me together. And so that's exactly what 2 Corinthians is going to invite us into. And so today, instead of doing like a verse by verse, we'll start that next week in chapter 1. Today we're going to do an intro and overview of the book. But it starts with Paul. Paul is our author. Right there in verse 1, Paul. 
Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth. They, they wrote differently than we do in our culture. You know, if we're writing an email or a letter, we would say generally the recipient's name first, right? If I'm going to, to write Kennard a, an email, I would say, dear Kennard, not Ryan. <laughs> like, that would be very narcissistic of me. But, um, and Kennard would be like, wow, okay, now I know what he wants to talk about. <laughs> His favorite subject. No. <laughs> but Paul... This is from him. He writes uh, his name first. The author's name goes first. So he writes this letter to the church in Corinth, and he wrote this not because he won like Sunday school award for like the best Christian, right? And he, now, now because of that, he gets to write a book of the Bible. No, no, no. Paul was someone who literally dedicated a part of his life to killing Christians, who he spent a, a large part of his life attacking followers of Jesus, trying to stamp out the movement called the way of Jesus. And then, we know this in the book of Acts, he encountered the living Jesus. There on the road to Damascus, and God radically changed his heart and his life and set his life on a different trajectory. And so he went from persecuting followers of Jesus to being a follower himself and wanting to tell the whole world about him. And so Paul is the author of this letter, and he calls himself an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, an apostle was one who was an eyewitness of Christ, who was sent by Christ, and it's important that Paul actually calls himself an apostle to open up this letter, because as we go throughout this letter, there's going to be some people in the church in Corinth who were continuing to question Paul's authority and his apostleship. And so he says, he's an apostle, but he noticed this, he says, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus what does he say next? By the will of God. He's saying, I didn't earn this. Like, I wasn't going after this. Like, this wasn't because of any of my achievements. But I am simply an apostle because God. Because God called me to this. By the will of God. And so, um, this letter we find early on is not just from Paul, but it's also from Paul and Timothy. Timothy, our brother, right? Timothy is Paul's son in the faith. He's a brother to them. And he goes to address this letter. He says, to the church of God. And Paul is just acknowledging that this wasn't their church. It's not Paul's church. Even though he planted it, the church that is in Corinth was God's church. And what a good reminder for us here at Calvary. Like, this is not my church Calvary Southeast doesn't belong to me. It doesn't belong to our pastors. This isn't your church. You're like, hey, but this is my church. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, you're not like the owner of it. This is God's church. He paid the price for it. Amen? And so he says, to the church of God, which is at Corinth. Now, let me tell you just a little bit about Corinth in case you forgot something from last year if you weren't here for our study through 1 Corinthians. But Corinth is a city in ancient Greece. And although it was in Greece, it had been decimated basically, and it was rebuilt by Julius Caesar in 44 BC. And so it was in Greece, but it was also a, a Roman city. And what was really important about Corinth is that it was on this thin strip of land, only six miles wide. And what you have here to the east is Asia, and to the west is Italy, and to the north you had major cities in Greece, and to the south you had other major cities in Greece. And so what that means geographically is that Corinth was the intersection of the ancient world. 
Going from Italy to Asia, people had to pass through Corinth. Going from major city in the south to the major cities in the north, you're traveling through Corinth. And so it was an international center of trade. It was a young city. It had just been rebuilt again in 44 BC. So it's growing and developing and thriving. And so with that background kind of in mind, there are four words that really characterize the culture of of Corinth. Number one, what I would say, it was very diverse because it was an intersection. You had people from all over. You had Greeks, you had Romans, you had Jews. And because you had people from all these different places, it wasn't just ethnically but also religiously. You had temples everywhere, all over the city of Corinth, many different belief systems and religions, many different gods. They even had temples to the unknown god, just in case they missed one. Um, secondly, you had a, it, it would be transient, an intersection or, or a crossroads. People were just constantly coming and going, leaving, not staying for, for too long. It was wealthy. Not only did Corinth have a lot of natural resources itself, but it was an international trade center. There was a lot of opportunity there. So much development. So there was a lot of wealth in Corinth. Corinth was also very status-driven. Because of all that opportunity, uh, because of all this growth and wealth, there was a lot of well-to-do people, impressive people in Corinth. And the culture of Corinth was all about winning, and it was all about status and accomplishment. So they were diverse. They were transient. They, they were all about wealth and status-driven. Now, I know that clearly does not like, apply to us here in America, right? Like at all. <laughs> like different world. <laughs> But because it was this very important city, Paul goes and he plants a church there. And let me remind you of the story just at the church in Corinth. Paul was in Athens, and Athens was a very important city in Greece, but Corinth was even more important, more influential. And so Paul goes from Athens to Corinth, and you read about that in Acts chapter 18. But Paul goes there, he preaches the gospel boldly, and guess what happens? Nothing. <laughs> Like they reject him, they kick him out, like they, no one believes him, but Paul doesn't give up, he keeps preaching the gospel, and then guess what happens? Revival breaks out, like people give, they get saved, they turn from their sins, they start following Jesus as their savior, and a church is birthed. A church is planted in this young, just city, and so Paul stays in Corinth, when, what we find for a year and a half, teaching this young church pastoring them, baptizing them. And after a year and a half, he leaves and he goes to plant more churches. And, he's, and he goes out, he spends, again, he was there a year and a half. He goes out to the next place. But after he leaves, he gets this report that things weren't going well in Corinth, right? And this isn't a surprise. I mean, if you, I mean it's, it's a bunch of young believers, right? Like imagine just a group of young believers. They get radically saved. They've only been saved for a year or less, and now they're trying to do church on their own. Like things get messy, right, really quickly. And we talked about all of the mess that was going on in the church of Corinth last year in 1 Corinthians. If you remember that, people, they were, this young church, they were getting drunk on communion. What? They're sleeping around in the church. They're suing each other. There's lawsuits everywhere. They're dividing on, on who their favorite pastors are. And so this, Paul gets this report of what's happening in Corinth. And so he writes to them 1 Corinthians, what we have. 
this 1 Corinthians, and it's this corrective letter. And he calls them out on their sin. He calls them back to Christ. He reminds them of, of the message of the gospel in which they believed, in which they were called to stand. And so we went through 1 Corinthians again last year, and it appears, unfortunately, that many of the people in Corinth who read that letter did not respond well to it. Like, you guys responded pretty well to it. Like, my first, like, few months as senior pastor of this church, we went through some heavy topics, and yet you guys stuck with me with it and through it, and I'm really grateful for that. But they didn't do that. They didn't care for Paul's first letter too much. They didn't respond well to it. And so what we learn from actually 2 Corinthians chapter 2 is that Paul, he follows up with a visit in person. And he calls it a sorrowful visit. Like you think the letter was hard. He goes and he meets them in person and he has this hard face-to-face conversation with them. And then he leaves them and he sends them yet another letter that he says it was written in affliction and anguish of heart with many tears. So Paul writes 1 Corinthians. Actually, he wrote a letter prior to 1 Corinthians. He writes 1 Corinthians. He goes to visit them. He writes them this letter. We know that it's, it's, it's a deep personal letter. Paul calls it, again in chapter 2, a letter of tears. And then it appears after that, that after that painful visit, after that letter of tears, that the people, most of them, not all of them, but most of them, responded well and they repented. They finally trusted Paul. They finally repented of their sins. And so after a year of that, year later, Paul writes them another letter, this time, Not to correct them, but to comfort them and to assure them of God's grace. And that is 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians is a very unique letter. You know, if 1 Corinthians was like a slap in the face to them, 2 Corinthians is like a hug. It's very different in tone. That's why I really wanted to take a break in between the two, two letters because they're so unique. And this might be Paul's most personal letter, and even more than that, I would say his most vulnerable letter. His most vulnerable letter. He acknowledges their weakness, but he also acknowledges his own weakness all throughout this letter. He starts off by talking about the affliction that he's experiencing. He lays out, he's going to lay out all the hardship that he's gone through. He talks about, again, how weak he is. You know, this church had been through a lot. And in this letter, Paul bears his soul and pleads with them for reconciliation and to trust Christ. And so we're going to go through 13 chapters. And it's really broken into three main sections, if you want to kind of nerd out a little bit. Chapters 1 through 7 kind of go together about reconciliation. Paul restoring his relationship with the Corinthians. Chapters 8 and 9 are about generosity. Paul talking to them about just being generous people, um, helping the church in Jerusalem. And then chapters 10 through 13 are are more corrective. I told you earlier that many people responded well to Paul's visit and his letter of tears, but not everyone did. And so Paul's going to continue to challenge them. But while 2 Corinthians is divided into three sections, there's really one thread that kind of brings it all together. There's one overarching theme, and I want you to write this down, and it's the idea of embracing weakness as a way of experiencing God's strength. Write that down. 
embracing weakness as a way of experiencing God's strength. And we're going to see that throughout this letter. And so what I want to do this morning, very different from, from a normal verse by verse, but to set and to show this theme for the book, I want to look at two key passages in 2 Corinthians before we journey through this entire book. We're just going to do kind of an aerial flyby, if you will. The first passage I want to look at is 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If you want to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. As you're turning there, let me just summarize the context for you. Paul is talking in, in chapter 12 about how he had this revelation of God. It was this amazing experience he had with the Lord. And then we're told that God gives him a thorn in the flesh to keep him from being conceited. Now, we don't know exactly what this thorn in the flesh was, but he has it. And he doesn't want it. He doesn't want it at all in his life. And he pleads with the Lord. He prays and he prays and he prays. In fact, literally he says, I asked God three times to take it from me. And this is how God responds. Look at verse 9 of chapter 12. It will also be on the screen. He said, this is the Lord's response. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in weakness. That's it. God's power is perfected in weakness. Now let me tell you this morning, church, if I can just be honest for a second. I've been in this last season very, finding myself very exhausted. You know, take, you know, last year, last summer, taking over a church and thinking I'm pretty young and we can just do all the things and add, like, let's, let's just add a third service right out the gate and like, let's just do it. And like, we're adapting to the growth of the church and um, the Lord's just doing an amazing work. People are getting saved and um, also trying to be like a husband and a father and, and be present with my family. Personally, we have a lot going on just in our personal lives. And so I've been very busy. I just, Friday, I just got back from my third international trip in three months. And um, a lot of you said you were crazy when you heard that I was going to do that. I'm like, oh, I'm fine. I'm young. And I'm like, I get back and I'm like, I don't know if I'm as young as I thought I was or... (laughs) You know, and, and many, you know, I have people in my life that I try to surround myself with. They'll ask me, you know, how, how are you doing? And, and I would use the words like, oh, I'm fine. And, oh, you know, I'm just tired or I'm exhausted and, you know, just busy. You know, I just use very vague terms. Um, but I'm just going, right? Just going, going, going. And I've just been, I'm just going to power through. I'm just going to power through. But, but I, through the, the list last season, I just noticed myself struggling, and, and when I've been thinking about 2 Corinthians and even like this last week just thinking about this verse in particular, and I read this verse again, and I read this word weakness, and it jumped off the page to me. This word weakness. I was like, that's it. You know, I, I've, been using, I've been using words like oh, I'm exhausted or I'm tired or I'm just going or I'm fine. And, and I'm like, weakness, that's how I feel. Listen. Weakness is not sin, okay? I want you to know that. Weakness is not sin. When we talk about embracing weakness, we're not talking about embracing sin. It's very clear here in chapter 12 that Paul is talking about something completely different. 
And we actually don't know what this thorn of the flesh was that Paul was going through. Some think it was maybe a physical ailment, maybe his eyesight. Some, maybe it was an adversary, an enemy just kept like popping his head up, trying to antagonize Paul. But it's something going on in his life that we don't know. And I think it's actually better that we don't know. One, so that we can have this understanding in our own lives as we go through our own set of weaknesses. But I think Paul breaks it down a little bit more when he goes on in verse 10. If you notice the next verse, and he talks about not only weakness, but insults, distress, persecution, difficulty. And so this is what he's talking about with weakness. And so when we talk about weakness, I think of our limitations in life. That the suffering that we go through, our inadequacies, when we, when we talk about weakness, I think we're talking about living in a world that's affected and tainted by sin. And so again, when I read weakness, I thought, man, that's me. Like, that's how I feel. I feel weak. And then as soon as I just acknowledged my own weakness, then the, the rest of that verse really stood out to me because then I could hear God saying, he's like, my grace is sufficient for you, Ryan. For my power is perfected in weakness. My power is perfected in weakness. You see, if I'm honest with you, I tend to avoid weakness. right? I tend to like hide all of my weaknesses. I, I, I've, I've shared with you before many times like that embarrassing kind of life, life motto of mine, like fake it till you make it. You know what I mean by that? Like you just kind of go through life and you're like, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know what to do, but I'm just going to pretend like I do. And like, I'm just kind of, everything's fine. And we're just kind of holding life together until maybe one day as we do that, it gets a little easier or whatever. Like you just kind of fake your way through life. And so I've spent a lifetime of hiding weakness, avoiding weakness. Why? Because I think that somehow if I'm weak, then I won't be useful. And if I'm not useful to you, you won't love me or whatever, you know? And you're like, man, confessions from a senior pastor. We weren't ready for this counseling session. No, but like that's just the honesty of my life, avoiding weakness. I don't want to acknowledge that I have weakness. I have strength, right? I don't want to acknowledge that there's shortcomings in my life. And so trying to connect with others and the Lord, I try to do it through my strength and not my weakness. Lord, I'm, I'm doing well. I've read my Bible today. I've smiled three times this morning before my cup of coffee. Like, like trying to appease God. And I hear God saying, my grace is sufficient for you, Ryan. My power is perfected, not in your strength, but in your weakness. So I feel like I'm learning still what it means to embrace weakness in my life. I was asking Mary yesterday, I'm like, I don't even, I'm still like learning this. Like, what does this look like to embrace weakness? I've, I've spent, again, a lifetime shunning weakness. And the Lord's calling me, Lord, Ryan, like, embrace this. This is where my power can be perfected. This is where my power can be seen. And, and, and the Lord was just convicting me in a place, just even as a pastor and, and a boss and all of these things. Like, I want to lead out of the place of my weaknesses. Why? Not because we boast in weaknesses, but so that God's strength can be made known. And my hope and prayer as we go through this book this year is that this isn't something that I'm just going through personally, but that together, as, a, as the body of Christ, we can learn to embrace our weakness as a way of experiencing God's strength. Amen? Because I know for many of you, you're feeling weak. Like you feel weak right now. Let me just say that's okay. 
God says to you, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is perfected in weakness. God is inviting you this morning, church, not to hide your weaknesses, not to avoid your weaknesses, but to embrace them because he wants to meet you in the place of your weakness. You see, we have this understanding or we have this false understanding that God only meets us on our good days. But in all reality, it's our good, it's our good days according to the flesh that keep us from him. And he wants to meet us in our brokenness. And he wants to meet us in our weakness. And so Paul would go on to say in verse 10 of chapter 12, for when I am weak, he says, then I am strong. <laughs> like what? <laughs> this isn't helpful, right? Like this doesn't make sense. Like those are polar opposites. How can you be weak and strong? Like they don't go together. And so when he says, for I, when I'm weak, then I am strong, he's saying, when I acknowledge my own weakness, it's a way of finally tapping into God's strength. Wow. And listen, maybe this word for you is you just have to come to the place where you realize that God's strength is better than your own. Like you might be strong, but God is stronger. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 12 really summarizes the book of 2 Corinthians in this profound way. And I would encourage you, man, if you don't do scripture memorization, I would just challenge you. Maybe this, this, this next few months as we go through this letter, that maybe that's the verse we're going to memorize together as a church. That God's grace is sufficient for you. His strength, his power is perfected in weakness. Amen? There's one more passage I want to look at this morning that can I help us look at this thread. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And what you have leading up to this <coughs> is that Paul is talking to them about the gospel. The good news of, of Jesus Christ and how glory it, glorious it is. And he's talking about how the same God who said, let there be light, and there was light, shines the light of the gospel into our lives, and the light is the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so Paul's talking about the treasure of the gospel, and then he says in verse 7, look at verse 7, he says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now pause there for a second. Why would you put a treasure in a jar of clay? <laughs> jars of clay are brittle, okay? They're frail. They're, they're easily broken. You drop them and they're going to shatter. It would be foolish to put a treasure, something that's worth a lot, into something so frail. Why would you do that? Let's read verse 7 again. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that their surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Verse 8, we are afflicted in every way but not crushed perplexed but not given, driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed. What I love about this passage is that it acknowledges the pain and the difficulty and the trials of life. He says we're, we're afflicted, we're, 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 we're perplexed, we're, we're persecuted, we're struck down, like there's no sugarcoating it. Paul doesn't say, hey guys, just pretend everything's fine. He doesn't say, well, you've, you've got Jesus in your life, so stop complaining about everything else. No, no, no. He acknowledges the difficulties of life. But listen to this. While he acknowledges the hardship, 
it doesn't give them the last word. Do you guys notice that? So you may be, you may be this morning afflicted in every way in life, but you're not crushed. You may be perplexed and confused and, and all of these things, but believer, you are not driven to despair. He says you may be persecuted. That's real. Maybe some of you are, are out there getting persecuted for your faith in Jesus. It happens, but you're not forsaken. You may be struck down. You may be going through something very hard right now, but you are not destroyed. Why? Because we may be broken vessels, jars of clay, but we have the treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ living within us. And so the suffering in this life, the suffering that we go through, it's inevitable, but listen, it is not final. And we will experience trials, but they won't ultimately define us. Because no matter how weak we are, Christ is our strength. Amen? So this morning you may be a broken vessel, but you have Jesus inside you. You may be a frail jar of clay, but you have the riches of the gospel of Jesus Christ within you. You may be weak, but your weakness is a platform to experience God's strength. Now, there's two points that we'll learn through 2 Corinthians. If you're taking notes, the first one is this. The gospel is good news for weak people. You see, oftentimes people think that the gospel is for righteous people. It's a, it's a message for those who are really good at acting a certain way and to keeping all of life together, right? Everything's going on, but no, 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 no. Listen to this. This is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 5. He says this. It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus is saying there, is that this? He's like, he's like I've come. I've come not for those who are healthy. I've come for those who are sick and those who know it. I'm coming for those who are hurt and they feel it. I'm coming for those who are weak and they've been rejected and they've been outcast. That's exactly who Jesus came for and that's exactly what Jesus did. He went to the lepers, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, and he met each and every one of them with his grace. You know, Jesus' message was not, okay, you guys need to get your act together now. Are you grateful for that? Jesus didn't come and he said, you know, he didn't come and find just the struggling people in life. And he says, okay, come on, guys. Like, like come buck up. Like, get, get, dig a little deeper. Press in a little harder. No, no, no. He didn't say any of that to them. He went to those very people who are broken and hurting and lost and said, I love you. I love you. I have grace and mercy for you. Come to me. That's the call of Jesus. When he says, be with me. Be with me. Like, what? You don't know who I am. You don't know what I've done. And you're inviting me to come? So listen, church, the gospel is good news for weak people. The second thing that we'll see in 2 Corinthians is that the church is a place for weak people. You know, we have to say that explicitly because what most people assume is, well, I have to clean up my act first. 
Many people think, oh, I, I, you know, I'll come to church with you. You know, you might have extended that invitation to maybe a loved one or a coworker. Oh, I'll come, but I gotta, I gotta kind of shape up a little bit. I gotta, I gotta kind of get things in order in my life first, or I gotta kind of be a better person. All of those things. Or some people think, well, I don't belong there because I struggle. Have you ever felt that way? Like, oh, I don't belong there because of what I've done in my past. Or I don't belong there because of what's going on in my life right now. But listen, listen, like this is the message of the, and the heart of Jesus is that the church is a collection of broken people being redeemed by the grace, the unmerited favor of God. And we're being made new together. And so listen, we can admit that we're weak. We can admit that. Do you feel insufficient in life? Do you feel like you have insecurities? Do you feel like you struggle? We do too. (laughs) Like, welcome, glad you're here. (laughs) Welcome to church. If you're weak, you fit in because we're weak. But Christ is our strength together, amen? Martin Luther said this. May a merciful God preserve me from a Christian church in which everyone is good. I want to be in a church of the faint-hearted, the failed, the feeble, and the ailing who believe in the forgiveness of sins. This is the kind of culture we have to keep as a church. Because everything in our flesh, everything in our, in our pride, in our just, our, just in our human nature wants to pretend and put on a mask and a facade that we have finally achieved something. We have finally arrived and we are no longer desperate for the forgiveness and grace of Jesus. But may we be someone, a church that has opened their doors to the faint-hearted, as Luther said, the failed, the feeble, and the ailing. Why? Because we believe in the grace of God. And we believe in the forgiveness of sins that he gives. Listen, we want to be a people who can acknowledge our frailty. Acknowledge our struggles, but we come to the cross together, experiencing healing. We're not just like, you know, what does it say? Misery seeks company or likes company. Like We're not just like just talking about our bad days together. No, we're pressing into Jesus together. And we're seeking healing and change. The reality is we have to choose. And this is the sad reality is so often we have to choose um, between impressiveness and authenticity. And that's the American culture that we're fighting against every day. Do I want to do everything in my power to put on this show so that everyone thinks that I'm doing great and that's what they're going to connect with, right? It's the Ryan that has everything figured out and is doing wonderful all the time. Or will I let them in to see who I really am and what I'm struggling with? And listen, as a church, can I just say, we want to choose authenticity every single time. We want, to, we want to choose a lifestyle that says, hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm going through. This is where I'm at and knowing and believing that God's grace is going to meet us in that place. And because God's grace has met us in that place, we also meet each other in that place. And that's the, the power of our own groups. Is that, man, we're not perfect people doing life together. No, we're messy people doing life together. And we, and we pray for one another and we confess sin to one another and we carry one another through difficult, challenging seasons but we, and we seek healing and growth and a heart change together. Now this passage 
in 2 Corinthians 4, it gives us, it should give us a spiritual confidence. It should give us a, a spiritual confidence, but it's not rooted in us. I want you to note that. And here's what I want to look at in the next verse, verse 10 of chapter 4. Quickly, it says, you know, it says we're struck down, but not destroyed. And then in verse 10, it says, always caring in the body of the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Do you see what he says there? He's saying we're carrying in our bodies the death of Christ. Like I've, I've been crucified with Christ, right? Paul would write, it's no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. But as we carry the death of Christ, it says we have the, the life of Christ within us. And so the reason this is so important is because 2 Corinthians isn't ultimately about our weaknesses or our strength, but it's about Christ. It's about Christ who showed his strength through weakness for our salvation. And so the cross undermines the world's understanding of power and shows something different and, and different than we think, better than we can imagine. You know, the cross, you look at this cross over here, the cross is, is not impressive by worldly standards at all. It's the complete opposite. The cross was shameful. The cross was excruciating pain. It was public torture. That's what the cross represented. And yet, it's the most powerful display of love this world has ever seen. Jesus is the strongest, most powerful ruler this world has ever known. And yet, he lays down his life in sacrifice and service. Why? Because of love. Because of love. Because he loves you. And because he loves me. It's, it's love that compelled him to the cross. It's because of love that Jesus died for your sins. And it's because of love why he died for my sins. It's love. Jesus was afflicted but not crushed. Jesus was perplexed but not driven to despair. Jesus was persecuted, but not forsaken. Jesus was struck down, but not destroyed. Listen, Jesus was crucified, but he rose from the dead. Amen? And he is our hope. And he is our anchor. Now, as we close this morning, wow, I love that. So sweet. Put your Bibles away, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> On January 24th, 1974, Kenneth Jarrett would be set to perform a, a solo piano recital in Cologne, Germany. And it was sold out to a crowd of over 1,400 people. The organizer of this event was a 17-year-old girl named Vera Brandis. And she was responsible for everything, for the tickets, for the location, for the opera, you know, house, and um, making sure the right piano got there. And Jarrett, who was a, an accomplished jazz musician, had specifically requested a grand piano that would be fitting for that occasion. But when Kenneth Jarrett showed up, it was the wrong piano. Instead of the grand piano that he requested, there was a small, uh, dilapidated piano that was out of tune, that was basically unplayable. 
Some of the, the black keys in the middle didn't work. The, the pedals got stuck, and it was just worn down. And, and by the time they realized that it was the wrong piano, it was too late to get a replacement. And so refusing kind of to even touch the thing, such an unfitting instrument, Kenneth Jarrett just walked out and says, I'm done. He left. He, he went to his car. I got another show tomorrow night. And Varys Brandis, though, that 17-year-old girl who was organizing the whole event, chased him down. Some say it was pouring rain outside, ran out to his car to meet him, pleaded with Kenneth to come back and to play for the sold-out show that night. And so um, out of pity for her, though, he decided to do it. He decided to come back in and play. And so after a lot of work of, like, hey, well, let's at least try to tune the piano, which took a long time, he finally went on stage at 11.30 at night to 1,400 people. And he sat down at this old dilapidated piano and as soon as he began playing something magical happened Jarrett began improvising on the piano and before long it was apparent to everyone in the audience that they were in for something very very special what he ended up doing was improvising for over an hour probably avoiding like the the, the keys that got stuck and just a, a, played astonishing to the crowd like they were just astonished and he didn't just get through that performance on this old piano he ended up playing that night the greatest performance in his entire life in fact the recording of that performance went on to become what I've been told as, as I was reading about it this week the best selling jazz piano album of all time now here's why I tell you that story I find it very fascinating because even a broken instrument can be used to make something beautiful in the hands of an artist. And no matter how weak or insufficient you feel, God wants to write a song of redemption in your life. He wants to make something beautiful out of the brokenness of your life. No matter how much you're hurting, God can orchestrate a glorious work in your life. Listen, it's okay if you're weak because God is strong. And you can embrace your weakness. You don't have to run from it. You can embrace your weakness in a way of experiencing His strength. Allow Him think you might be that old piano. Things are getting stuck. <laughs> Some things aren't working. You have a lot of brokenness in your life, a lot of sin in your life, a lot of shame in your life, and you think, God is never going to play me again <laughs> in, the, in the good way. God, God's never going to use me. I'm going to be unusable. But listen, that's completely false because God loves you. God is so much bigger than your weakness. God's strength is perfected, perfected like that in your weakness. Why? So that he can get the glory. So that he can get the glory. Listen, if Kenneth Jarrett showed up in that opera house or wherever he was out in Cologne, Germany that night and he had the grand piano he requested, it would just been like another night. 
If your life was just so perfect and you just keep holding it all together, and you're like, ah, yeah, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. Listen, God wants you to embrace your weakness so that you can experience his grace for his glory. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit us for one of our services. For service times, location, or even just to learn more about the ministry of Calvary Southeast, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you've been blessed by this week's teaching. Join us next week as we continue in our study together. 